Hey everybody, welcome to our week in review. I am Stephen Cox, along with the chair of the King County Democrat, Shasta Conrad, and Will Casey, managing partner of Left Wing Digital. And we are talking this week about running for office, specifically why you should think about running for office. And then in the second half of the pod, Shasti is gonna talk with our friend, Jen Carter, who was elected board commissioner with King County Public Hospital District 4 about what she learned in her experience running for office. But uh, we're gonna start this week about talking about the the Derek Chauvin verdict, which came down on Tuesday. And, and we know that a lot has been said about this already. So uh, I think it's important that we touch on it uh, very briefly. Um, Tuesday was just a very, it was just a difficult day. Um, I, I, I'll just ask, having had a few days to process, how are we feeling right now? Yeah, I think Stefan, you know, it, it, we're, I, I'm still in process. You know, I think part of it is, you know, we got a, you know, a few moments of joy and finally getting, you know, one conviction of this one law enforcement officer. Um, but at the same time that that verdict was coming out, you know, a young um, black girl, 15 years old, Nakia Bryant, was shot by the cops um, not that far away. And, so, you know, I think that it's just this constant, I think black and brown people are just, we're exhausted. I think everyone, it's been a hard year for everybody, but this sort of constant, you know, re-traumatization of, you know, having to hold up um, these, you know, so many people that are being killed by law enforcement officers. And, you know, yes, we're grateful that, you know, Chauvin uh, was found guilty three times over um, and, you know, or we'll wait to see how sentencing goes. Um, it's just, it really is exhausting. And you know, I think also we just have to keep remembering um, that the victims of these murders are people. You know, um, one of the things that I really did appreciate in the coverage of um, around George Floyd was like seeing his daughter, um, Gianna, um, and seeing, you know, his, um, his brothers and his family sort of really being able to speak to you know, George as, as a full person and a father. Um, and, you know, we have to keep remembering too, that like, he didn't choose to die. He's not, you know, he didn't want to be martyred for this cause. It is the system that continues to turn, um, you know, black, mostly black men and black and black women um, into hashtags and that we just, you know, we can't forget the human part of this. Yeah, thank you for for centering that. I think that's just so important. And, you know, we heard the phrase over and over again, um, this is not justice, but it is accountability. Uh, we heard that from uh, Minnesota AG Keith Ellison. We heard that from the vice president. Um, I'll just mention for listeners, gang, that we are definitely going to be doing more detailed conversations about this very thing on the show, uh, specifically what got accomplished this year uh, in the state legislature on on police reform but you know um and i'm sure you guys have seen this too uh, we're hearing a lot of mixed signals coming out of the other washington uh, i read a report in axios um that was i mean it, it was quoting anonymous senior democratic staff members which is always the, the the best source to get but they were saying that the the guilty verdict would actually slow down police reform because they thought that it would take the pressure off of the situation but then uh, a, a piece in the Post from Thursday said that Republican Tim Scott and Cory Booker are very, very motivated. They're working together to pass something. And so this is where uh, I, I, my mind has been and, and see where this lands with you. I keep wondering how we as progressives make sure that police reform legislation still moves forward, but that we don't let Republicans strip crucial things out 
Um, what do you, what do you think about that? Right. I mean, I, you know, I think that, uh, the time is now for this like relentless advocacy, um, in the press conference after, uh, the verdict, you know, all of the members of Floyd's, um, family, you know, said like, we have like Senate, we have to pass this, um, you know, George Floyd, uh, uh, accountability and policing act. And, you know, we can't, we just, we can't let up the thing. It just, I, I was so overwhelming to me is it's like, all of these protests, all of the like activists and how perfect the prosecution had to be, how perfect the witnesses had to be, how the, you know, the video was a directly shot by a teenage girl, by a teenage black girl with her nine-year-old cousin had to film and be able to show the world the legit murder to get one conviction. So, you know, I saw a stat somewhere that it is like, I think there have been eight convictions in the last like 10 years or something like that of law enforcement officers. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you can, we can't let up and it is exhausting and it's painful, but you got to call your senators. You've got to keep the pressure on to get these laws passed. And then you also have to stay on your local governments um, to make sure that we're holding our own, you know, Seattle PD, um, you know, whatnot accountable um, right here, um, you know, in across the country, we've got to be staying on and making sure that we have to record all of these interactions because without that video, um, we would have, we got a very different story, which I know was going to talk about, um, from the Minneapolis PD. Yeah. And I honestly, I can't stop thinking about it. Um, because it, it, you, it, you've probably seen this, but uh, what Chassis is referring to is the original police report from the Minneapolis PD that was trending on Twitter. Um, the header was man dies after medical incident during police interaction. Officers were able to get suspect in handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. He was transported to Hennepin County Medical Center by ambulance where he died a short time later. This, this would have been the, I'm sorry, I'm really angry. This would have been the official report if a 17-year-old girl hadn't been brave enough to record what actually happened. And it makes you think all the times that that it actually has been the official report. Uh, Do we think that the media has learned anything at all in this about uh, trusting the police's official narrative on things like this? Well, I mean, I think that the answer is, you know, like everything that we've been talking about in this conversation, somewhat mixed, Stefan. I think it's, uh, you know, we've certainly seen examples of that here at home, um, you know, in, in our own local community here in Seattle. Uh, you know, when Tommy Lay was shot, this exact same narrative is what played out. Um, you know, the King County Sheriff's Office said there was a person with a knife who charged officers and was shot. And it wasn't until, you know, later when an, an autopsy found that he was shot in the back, which, you know, common sense would tell you it's pretty hard to be shot in the back while you're charging someone directly. Um, you know, that we just finally understood what actually happened. And so whether or not the media has learned something about this, I think that remains to be seen, right? I think that's a a case-by-case basis. But I think what we need to make sure is that we don't let them escape uh, accountability in these circumstances either, because there's just simply no excuse to uncritically report the sort of headline that is sent out by the comms folks, um, you know, with our law enforcement departments. Sometimes there's good information there and we need to make sure that it's vetted. Um, And I think the challenge that a lot of reporters would tell you that they face is that there just aren't alternative sources of information. And lots of times they view, you know, breaking news about a crime having happened um, as... 
legitimate newsworthy events that the people need to know about. And so the lack of alternative information is something we need to make sure that people understand, but also, you know, pressuring reporters and their newsrooms to be more responsible about this. And that also uh, means that we need to make sure that those organizations are doing the work to make sure that they are representative workplaces of the communities that they're reporting on. Um, because I think that that's something that also is being exposed in this, you know, broader conversation is that we don't have enough journalists of color who are working on these issues. And you've even seen people like Wesley Lowry talk about how, you know, he had a challenging environment at the Washington Post trying to report on this movement, um, given his, you know, alleged sort of personal stake that might have tainted his coverage. So I think there's just a lot to be, you know, unpacked here. And this is, we're not even close to done having this conversation. But Shasti, is there anything you want to add on this? The, the the discrepancies between, um, you know, how the police and how the media would report what actually happened in these encounters, which were often murders, um, uh, you know, black and brown people have, have known this for forever. I mean, I remember as a kid, like, I watched, like, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying this to make light of it, but like Dave Chappelle did a, you know, set up. 20 years ago about how, you know, like, um, black man would end up shot and the cops would sprinkle crack on him, you know, as, as sort of saying, like, putting the blame on, um, you know, black people for these murders. I think what is different in this one is that white people were able to see with their own eyes because of that video what actually happened and now we can like compare it to what the report was and you can see how different you can see the skew um and that i think the press like will said has typically been willing for a variety of reasons to run with that version of events and you know i think also like we saw that with the like me too movement and how um you know the new york times struggled with telling the stories around what was you know harvey weinstein in part because harvey had friends in the new york pd um high up who were completely happy to cover um for his crimes and you know i think that's something that particularly for people of color but this is true for women this is true for you know other sort of marginalized populations that these accounts um rarely match up and it's going to take all of us but media particularly to really keep um keep pushing keep digging and i want to give a shout out to melissa santos from crosscut who uh just last week did it a really incredible um sort of profile of, of these types of stories um, in, in law enforcement. Chesty, can I come back to something you just said? Because you talked about the involvement of, uh, well, basically how, how white people saw the video and you know got uh, deeply involved. We saw that in the protests over the summer last year. And I, you know, I, I hate to think about it through this lens, but I think it's worth exploring. Do we think that if white people had not been as involved by being brought in, you know, through seeing this uh, this atrocity in cold blood on on video, do you think that the outcome would have been the same? No, I mean, I know that it's different. I know um, uh, the fact that you know at those protests that it was so mixed. I mean, you know, even my my mom, who is a seventy one year old white woman, you know, boomer. Um, you know, we've talked about these things, we've had these conversations, but that video um, hit her in a way that nothing else has, and you know, made her a fighter for the cause in a different way than I've seen her do it. And you know, she was around for the sixties and was a hippie and a protester and did all that stuff. But that video was so visceral, um, where you, there's no way to 
second guess you know that that wasn't what it was and the thing that you know kept coming to and i kept seeing other people saying is like we all witnessed the murder and the fact that we had to wait almost a full year and we're on the edge of our seats hearts in our throat scared that we wouldn't get a guilty verdict is proof of how broken you know this how broken our our uh you know, criminal justice system is our legal system is on things like this, because we we all became witnesses because of that video. And I do think white people um, pushing for it and keeping a spotlight on it was did make a difference. And I think that there's something else to be to be gained there. Shasti is like, we need to understand the responsibility that people have, right? Like, I think you're right. And I just want to make sure that we don't come off as saying like, you know, white people deserve the credit for this, right? This is people finally living up to the obligation that we've had this entire time, right? And and this is not a moment to like pat ourselves on the back and say, oh yeah, we did a good thing. It's like, no, now you need to take the lesson that we've learned in this situation and apply it to every other aspect of struggling for, you know, equal treatment of the law and actual investment from our, you know, our local governments, our, uh, our state governments and our federal governments and communities that have been like intentionally disinvested from um, for decades and decades, right? And so I think that there's an opportunity here to do something that we, you know, talk about in political campaigns as like the race class narrative, right? Where this is, you know, understanding who the forces of oppression really are and how we are all disadvantaged when, you know, things like, uh, you know, the police harassment and, and abuse of and murder of people of color, that's not something that just affects those communities, right? It affects everybody. And I think that this is an opportunity, um, you know, as you're talking about chassis, to engage people who haven't been engaged in the past and then make sure that this isn't sort of their opportunity where they feel like, okay, great, we accomplished the thing that we were here for. We got this person held responsible. It's like, no, this is a, st- a systemic problem. And, you know, there are lots of other places where we need allies to plug in. Um, and, and so I think that's, you know, we just have, we have an opportunity here and this is, uh, you know, a turning point, but not by any means a conclusion of, of any sort. So I just mm-hmm. thought it was that we, we referenced that. And Shasi, I know you have something to add here, but I'll just uh, dovetail on what you were saying, Will. 100% right. And in my mind, uh, the fact that white people needed to be involved to get the uh, the outcome that we were looking for is more of an indictment of the system, I think, than anything else. Uh, Shasti, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. That was a, that was what I was going to say too, which is, you know, I think the the biggest lessons are to that like, you know, white people need to continue to really center and listen and hear black and brown voices to take lived experience as fact um, in the way that they used to be willing to accept law enforcement's version of events, but actually really listening to um, to your you know black brother, black and brown brothers and sisters. Um, but also that you've got to like get off your asses and you have to be engaged in this too. This is not a person of colors problem. This is, this is an all of us, but this is particularly white people have got to be having these conversations with other white people to really say like, enough is enough. Um, John Oliver, who I think many of us watch and enjoy, um, his show last week, um, he basically said like white people, this is up to you. Like, this is you, you have got to get in these streets and start fighting for this stuff too. Um, otherwise it just continues to not change. Um, so I just, yeah, I think absolutely Will's right. Um, this is not saying like, woohoo, because white people did it, you know, yay. But really this is about, um, the system is so broken and we have been screaming for this for so long without there being change we need we need everyone um and that this does impact 
all of us because we all live in these communities. Um, it's it's on all of us to fix it. Yeah, I mean, just a hundred percent agreed on everything that you just said, Chastity. And as I said, we're going to be covering this more in depth on the <clears> show. Uh, so this week, as I mentioned at the top, we are going to be talking about running for office, why it matters, what is involved, and why people like you should consider doing it. Um, Shasti, this is your bag, right? This is your bread and butter. You do this recruitment speech all the time. So just lay it on us. Why should somebody consider running for office? Because we need you. And we there are 344 offices that people can run for in King County just this year. Um, as Democrats, we often get sort of like, you know, focused on the national. We get focused on like, you know, our state legislature. But right here, right now, this year, we have so many opportunities for people to get, you get to run, you get to have your name on a ballot and you get to help your community. Um, this is the right moment for that. If we don't do it, Republicans will, and some and some of the craziest ends of the Republican Party will. The Republicans do this better than us. They they invest in these like sort of lower level offices. They support people. They get them the experience, the opportunities, and then they climb the ladder. And all of a sudden, you know, they're state senators and they're running for governor and they're doing those things. We on this side of it need to get more people in onto the ladder. We need you in these rungs. We need you to be doing this work. Um, we need your perspective. So it really is like the time is now. All you have to do is just file with King County elections. Um, and then, you know, here at King County Democrats, Indivisible, like we'll help you. We'll help you run a campaign. Or you may not have to because a lot of times these seats go unfilled. So it's a really great opportunity to do something good for your community. We're going to be talking to our friend Jen Carter about that very thing uh, in the next segment about how sometimes you can just step up and fill out your name and boom, you're in. So I will just point out that this is an off year election. Um, so just nobody's running, running for Congress uh, this year. What level of office are we talking about? This is like, you know, there's um, city councils. So in King County alone, there's 39 cities. Um, so there's, you know, city councils, there's school boards, but there's also things like um, public hospital districts and fire districts where you get to help to sort of say like, how is taxpayer money being spent to support the fire department in your neighborhood? Um, there's water commissions. Um, if you're really interested in sort of science and, and conservation, um, there's all kinds of really great opportunities um, that match all kinds of interests. And it's also just a great way to kind of learn about what's happening in your community. So, Will, listen, you and I kind of came up in the trenches together in Indivisible. And the thing that we kept getting drilled into our head was that the ultimate, the, uh, the, the, the NAPLU ultra of contribution that an activist could do is be like, you know, run for office. And um, I, it's not certainly in my wheelhouse, but I, I have the utmost respect for people for whom it is. Um, do you agree with that, uh, with that characterization? Is it one of the most impactful things that you can do as an activist? Yeah, I, I think I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think it's it's something that, you know, as someone who is uh, at my core, a, a, a Warren Democrat, as someone who believes that personnel is policy, right? I think it matters that we have somebody in all these rooms, right? Like I grew up in Florida where there is just no support for anyone running for office. There's nobody doing the work that Shasti's doing in, here in King County or that, you know, is going on at the state party or any of these uh, other organizations like Indivisible, Moms Band Action, March for Our Lives. Like they've probably grown up since then. But like when I was a kid, 
all of our local uh, elected officials, you know, were people who were business businessmen, right? Like, uh, and I use that gender term intentionally, uh, who were doing things in their spare times because a lot of these things are positions where people don't get paid. And so that does, you know, have to be a part of your analysis and when, whether, uh, when you're evaluating if this particular office is right for you, right? If you've got the time to commit um, if there isn't a salary attached. But I think that the the takeaway message is really that it matters who is in these rooms, right? Like it matters that we have Jen on this board. She's going to talk to us later about the, the work she's doing there to make sure that, you know, those resources are being spent wisely. But, you know, uh, it's the same thing when we're you know talking about fire districts or the water commissions that uh, Shasti's talking about. I know that um, one of our uh very involved folks here in King County, um, who's also a state party, uh, you know, uh, volunteer is uh, Chris Porter, who runs the or who works on the King County Conservation District. And they've had an election where as few as like, I think 17 people or something voted uh, a couple <laughs> of years ago. And now, you know, there's uh, a lot more people. Oh, it's it, Chassie's telling me it was actually six people who voted. <laughs> to decide an open seat there, right? And so, you know, when we don't get uh, involved and we've made a lot of progress in the three years since then, um, but when we don't get involved, right? Like these decisions are being made without us, but they're being made about us, right? And so I think that that's really the reason why running for office, and you don't have to be like, oh, this is the first step between, you know, me and now, and then gonna be a US Senator in, you know, 20 years, like, no. I think a lot of people, you know, fail to recognize the opportunity and the influence and the change that you can make, even if you're just like, this is all I'm going to do, right? I'm going to do this one local position. That's the extent of my, you know, political career, such and such that uh, as that is. But I think there's still a lot of positive change that can be made in, in those, you know, lower level offices. We have seen people go on to the United States Senate uh, from starting from you know, city council and things like that. So it can happen. But yeah, yeah. Point taken on that. Um, something else that I've been thinking about is uh, something that your old boss, Tina Podlodowski, said uh, one of the first times that I met her, where she's like, it is important to run candidates everywhere. Every single LD, every red and rural, especially often in the red and rural districts. Um, and she explained it better than I would. And Shasta, you'd probably be, you, you will definitely explain it better than I would. Absolutely, because this is how you build sort of that grassroots power. Um, and like I said, the Republicans have done a better job um, previously in in sort of building their bench. Um, and when we when we run people in these like purple places in these red places, it forces the GOP to spend money, which woohoo, yay! We love to burn their resources. It you know creates this sort of organizing force that you know in, indivisible network and everybody like. I think some of that uh, development has come because of running people in these places. Um, and then it puts infrastructure in place for future candidates. So whether or not, you know, you, you win, of course we want you to win, but even if it doesn't res result in victory that year, it is about building for continuous cycles. You know, you might not win this time, but got name recognition and next time you'll be ready to go and people will know your name and like you may get that seat. So I think it's incredibly important. Um, and the state party has a couple of really great programs. They've been doing Rise and Run, which is around organizing and training candidates. And then this year they um, just did Contest Every Race, which was this really awesome texting program that um, basically texted people in the sort of jurisdictions where we were looking for candidates and 
basically said like, hey, you're, you know, you live in a place where there's a water commission. Would you be interested in running for it? And then out of King County, you know, we've been having some really great meetings, sort of regional meetings around the county where we've had, you know, 50 people show up and it's, they weren't a part of the party beforehand. They, you know, they're just folks living their lives and they're like, yeah, I'm interested in doing this. So it's really exciting to see all of this energy kind of uh, coming together. It's really, really cool. And, you know, actually, I just did a town hall recently on Red and Rural District bench building. Uh, Danielle Garby Reeser was recently appointed uh, to kind of chair up the development in that area. And, you know, she was she had previously run for a state Senate in the 16th LD. And one of the things that, that she kept stressing was, listen, you know, it, Kathy McMorris Rogers is not going to go away on her own. Right. We build from the bottom up. We build the benches and that's how you flip LDs and that's how you flip CDs. It's a gradual process, but that's how it's done. Um, I, and, and, you know, speaking of the Washington Democrats, well, during your tenure um, with them uh, as a communications director, I know that you saw some success stories. Um, tell people who are watching right now uh, some success stories, because we've got quite a few of them. Yeah, yeah. And I think the one, I mean, obviously, Jen is definitely an example of that. And we'll hear from her later in the show. But the one that I really want to go into detail on, because I think it just really captures so many of the points that you've been talking about, Chasty, is uh, the work that we did supporting Christiana de Leon uh, for City Council in Black Diamond. And that's, you know, a, a traditionally very conservative rural um, area of King County, but they've been experiencing a lot of growth recently. And, you know, as we've seen in some other, you know, larger suburbs, um, that doesn't always go over well with a lot of people. And it causes some sort of political conflict. But, you know, the reason we got involved with that race is because of the tracking work that I was doing, trying to sort of, you know, really dig up and expose a lot of the tendrils of the white supremacist militia movement here in Washington, which is way more prevalent than you would uh, like to think about. And so I think, uh, you know, her opponent, we discovered, um, who had been appointed to the seat that she ran for, was serving as, you know, communications director and an, an off officer, for lack of a better term, um, with the three percenters here in Washington State who are, you know, widely known as this militia organization that is, you know, supporting people who are doing things like, you know, they're the reason that we need to have a bill in the state legislature this year that uh, bans people from open carrying at um, you know, political protests, right? And so, and and there's been some involvement with their national group at the the January 6th um, insurrection at the national capitol. And so, you know, needless to say, not great guys, right? Um, and so, you know, the fact that she was going up against this person who, if we weren't focused on these local elections, probably would never go noticed and just be making decisions about, you know, how the city spends its budget, whether or not they're going to, you know, take any sort of anti-racist action about their relationship with the King County Sheriff's Office. There's whole swaths of issues where, you know, it matters who's uh, who is on that council and, and what uh, perspectives are represented. And Christiana just knocked the ever-loving heck out of her community and talked to so many people and made, you know, folks understand that she was part of the community. She lived there. She wanted what was best for their, you know, families and for their, uh, you know, businesses and also, you know, to make sure that the growth was handled in a responsible way. And she is, you know, continuing to do a really good job being an advocate on that council. Um, I think, you know, I was, we were less directly involved with a couple of other folks. I just want to shout out here in our, in our um, direct community, Varisha Khan was elected, um, 
to the Redmond City Council. She was one of the first local elected officials um, to be a Muslim woman um, in Washington State, which is a huge landmark achievement. Um, and Jeremy Barksdale, who was a FUSE board member, um, he'd been involved in a lot of activism work and community service. He's now a Bellevue City Council member, just making incredible uh, difference there um, in that you know city as they're going through their own um, experiences with a massive influx of population. So I just think that it's, there's a lot of people out here who have made very, you know, large impacts in their community. And, you know, those are the races that were super competitive and, and required a lot of time and effort. Um, but in Christiana's case, cause I'm, I'm most familiar with her personally, you know, she was working at a, a pet supply store, right? It's not like she had a, it's like she wasn't a lawyer. She wasn't a doctor. She wasn't someone who's got their own sort of business or, you know, had this established place in, in, in her sort of, you know, community, she was just a concerned citizen who wanted to make sure that her perspective was represented and, and she went out and made it happen. So I just want to really stress, especially for these lower level offices, like you can do this. It is possible. You should definitely reach out to the organizations that, uh, the chassis is talking about and, and that I know, uh, Jen is going to bring up later in the show. So, um, yeah. Oh, and Shasti, if you want to just talk about your experience with Christiana, that would be awesome. Cause I know you were very involved with her as well. Yeah, I just want to say Chris, Christiana is one of my favorite stories. Uh, two years ago, when we were basically at this same juncture of, you know, about a month or so before uh, filing week, um, you know, I'd gone out to the different LD chairs to say like, hey, you know, if you're needing help with um, recruiting for any positions, or if you've got candidates, um, or people that you, you know, want to encourage, I'm happy to call them. And uh, the uh, fifth LD chair at the time was like, you know, we've come across this really amazing young woman, Christiana, um, but she's a little bit on the fence. Would you mind calling her? And I called her and she goes, oh my God, the county party chair is calling me. And she was just like, so sort of excited. And um, it was just, it was, I love it. It, you know, meant so much to me. Um, but Will's exactly right. I mean, she was just like, just a wonderful person who like cared about the issues and, you know, was getting started to get involved and, um, you know, kind of community engagement work. And, um, you know, she, I don't think this was a part of some big master plan by any means. She just sort of was like, yeah, okay. Like I'll, I'll go for it. I'll try it. And then I mean, she did kind of the impossible, which was, I mean, that was a really hard race. Um, and she did it in little, you know, little black diamond. So you can do it too. Um, I just, I, I love that story so much. And she's, she's done such great work on that city council and it's been hard, but she's done it. Uh, thanks for telling that story. I didn't know that. Um, and I just adore her and I have nothing but admiration for her just guts and determination going up some against some just terrible people in Black Diamond. Um, so, OK, let, let's just do this. Um, I'm thinking about running for office. I'm not. Um, what are some things that I should consider when I when I make that decision? So, you know, um, the first thing is you want to probably check out King County elections. Um, they have their list um, for some, you know, for some seats, uh, there is a filing fee. I mean, it depends on the size with which of the, you know, the jurisdiction with which you would be running for. Um, and it's, it's not normally like it's huge amounts of money, but it's just something to be aware of. Um, you uh, want to check to see if it's an open seat or is there already somebody there and you're running against an incumbent? Um, and look, I think sometimes that's perfectly fine to run against the incumbent, but it's just good to know what you're looking at. Um, also, you know, kind of, uh, is it a, is it a full-time gig? So like if you're running for King County council, that is a full-time job with a full big salary and you know, all of that. If you're running for like what, um, we'll hear from Jen Carter a little bit, which is the public um, hospital district. Um, it's very 
part-time it's you know it's i believe it's uh two meetings a month um and i don't believe it comes with any kind of salary you want to make sure that you live in the district um and so you can look when you go on to king county elections um they have maps so you'll be able to sort of see whether or not you actually live there um and then uh yeah if you have to do you have to campaign for it um and if uh i would i say just put your name forward and just go for it and then you know us at King County Democrats, it's our job to help you campaign for things like that. So um, I also want to put a plug in this coming Tuesday, April 27th, um, King County Democrats is co-hosting an event with King County Elections um, for a candidate workshop that will walk you through all of that. And uh, and then you'll hear about kind of our endorsements process and um, what it's like to, to run uh, as a person of color. And uh, the uh, we'll put the, the RSVP link in the show notes um but we'd love to have anyone who's interested to come and attend that workshop excellent yes in the show notes and also at indivisiblepodcast.org all right gang uh we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be back with shasti's interview with jen carter Hi, everyone. We are here with the incredible Jen Carter. Um, she is a commissioner on the King County Public Hospital District Number 4. Um, and we wanted to talk to Jen today to hear about sort of the journey of running for office. You know, this year is a big year for local office, um, for local offices and people running for them. And so, uh, Jen, we met a couple of years ago through first through your work with the Indivisible Network. Um, and then and, you know, full disclosure, you came to join me at King County Democrats for a little bit as the vice chair for outreach. And then you decided to run for this incredible office. So I wanted to sort of first, can you just tell us what is this? What is this role? What do you do? Um, and, and, you know, how did you find out about it? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Shasti. And it's really good to see you. Um, so uh, King County Public Hospital District number four is just a mouthful to represent Snoqualmie Valley Hospital. And we're a public hospital district, which means that we are taxpayer supported. And we are also a critical access hospital, which gives us special support from the federal government. Um, it just means that we, uh, we serve a um, underserved uh, rural community. And you may not think that uh, Snoqualmie is rural anymore necessarily, but trust me, if you were to travel east, the next hospital that you hit is all the way in Ellensburg. So we do serve the entire Snoqualmie um, summit area, and we work very closely with King County Search and Rescue. So if there's ever an emergency up in the mountains, uh, we are part of the trauma network, and uh, those cases will come to us first. Wow. That's that's incredible. I didn't realize that. That is amazing. Like what a population to serve and land space. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty <laughs> incredible. Um, so what do you do in this role? Like what what's the you know, how often do you meet? Um, you know, what what are you sort of giving guidance on? So because we're a taxpayer-supported hospital, we have public oversight. And so there's a board of five, just 
citizens, members of the public that ran to be part of the organization. And we get to peek into the books and we get to advise on certain decisions. You know, we have an executive team there that is just fantastic and visionary and capable, but we're there just to, you know, to make sure that the public is represented. So we meet uh, once a month for official business where the public is invited to come and see. By the way, everything is fully open and transparent. That's governed by RCWs, in fact, right, by Washington state laws, where we we don't make any decisions uh, behind the scenes in emails or, you know, in private meetings. Everything takes place in previously announced public meetings, all debate and all votes. So we have one of those official public uh, business meetings per month. But then there are other, you know, committee meetings where the, you know, finance and facilities and medical where we get to really look and and see what's going on at this hospital that all of the citizens are pitching in and paying for. And what made you decide that you wanted to run for this? Like what what was the what was the sort of spur to go ahead and do it? So, you know, I have always been interested in public service. It's just something that's kind of been in my blood. You know, um, my dad is a public servant. My mother's a teacher. And uh, so when I came here, uh, when I moved to Washington State, I thought, you know, how could I get involved? And so you mentioned earlier during my intro that I am involved with Indivisibles and, and with the Democrats, but I wanted to find out how as an individual I could really give back. And I heard about all these different commissions. And there's a hospital commission, there's fire districts, there's, you know, water board, water commissions, um, mm -hmm. uh, places where ordinary citizens can get involved and serve. So uh, for my day job, I work with electronic medical records. So I have some good insight into the tech side of how hospitals operate. And I wanted to be able to, you know, lend that expertise because one of the great things about this hospital board is that we have folks with all different kinds of backgrounds, professional backgrounds or personal backgrounds. Some are more rural, some are more suburban. We've got lawyers, we've got insurance people, we've got tech people. Uh, so it's nice to have folks that represent all different kinds of industries to be able to provide some oversight. And, you know, this year there are, there's a seat up on that board too, right, this year? So there's opportunities for people to run. Um, what was it like to actually run for it? Did you have, were you competing against somebody? Did you have to put a whole campaign together? What was it like? So I was very fortunate. I, um, when I first became interested in this role, I started attending the public meetings. And this was in the before times when meetings were in person. So I showed up at the hospital and sat in on these meetings for a few months. Then a vacancy opened up. So I was able to go through the appointment process and, and get in that way. I did though have to file with King County elections to run for an official seat a couple months later. And luckily I ran unopposed. So it was pretty easy. But, you know, the fact that I had, you know, a pretty easy path, that's not unusual, Shasti. Um, don't be intimidated. If you're interested in doing one of these things, there's no secret handshake there. Nobody came to me and asked me to do it, you know, behind the scenes. This was really just, you know, I'm, I'm a citizen. I want to serve. Uh, I think that I can contribute here. And I filed the paperwork and it was that easy. There was nothing stopping me. I didn't have to run a pricey campaign or do any fundraising or any kind of intimidating phone calls, begging people for money. It didn't cost anything actually and, and was so easy and really, really worth it. It's, it's very gratifying to be in this role. That's wonderful. And you've been there now two years, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and how long is your term? 
it's a six year term. Oh, wow. Okay. That's great. <laughs> yes. So I only had to go through that process once and, um, and, and now I'm, I'm sticking around for a while. And, and how do you find that this role kind of connects to your, you know, background in organizing and, and the work you were already doing in your community? Well, I found that it was really nice when, especially when I was first getting started on the board, to have the support of my local democratic organizations and and the the Indivisibles and and other groups, where if I you know had a question about how to handle something or you know should I reply to this email? How do I reply to this email? Um, but really, it's there is there's no requirement for entry, you know, so I don't want to make it sound like you need to be a party insider in order to do this because it's absolutely not true. If you are thinking about it and you're not sure, definitely reach out to your local indivisible, your local mom's demand action, or I strongly recommend the King County Democrats, you know, reach out to a local political organization and tell them, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. Can you help me? They will help you, but you absolutely don't need to be some kind of a fancy insider to do this. Yeah. And did you feel like when you got there that you could contribute and that it was, you know, that you were glad that you had, had decided to put yourself in this role? I'm so happy that I did this. Um, I represent kind of a new demographic to the area and I have this tech know-how that was not previously on the board. So I really feel like I'm contributing. Of course, you know, the first couple of months you're learning the ropes and you, you know, you're a little bit nervous and, but what I really love about this board is that even when we disagree, I know that everyone at that table is there because they have good intentions and they care about the health of the people of Snoqualmie Valley. And so when you're able to make that assumption, and I make that assumption every day, um, you're able to really collaborate and, and get good outcomes uh, for the people of the Valley as a board, whether you agree or you don't. It's, it's nice to have that there, you know. Yeah, that's great. And just as a reminder, folks, um, filing week is the third week of May. Um, and so if you're interested in running for, like, just like Jen, stepping forward, um, there may be a water board in your, um, in your area or a fire district or a hospital district, um, go ahead and, and put your name forward. And you just, you file with King County Elections and you may be the only one who files for it, <laughs> like Jen. Um, <laughs> Or you might get to run your first campaign and people get to see your name on a ballot. And that's pretty fun, too. So, um, Jen, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience just about, you know, what it's like to, to run and um, any words of wisdom for folks who might be thinking about going for something like this? Take the leap. Don't be intimidated. Don't wait for somebody to ask you. Nobody's going to come ask you. Nobody's there to block the door either, you know? So just go ahead and do it. Get involved. This is how we build out the bench. You know, don't be afraid. If you're afraid, reach out to the King County Democrats. Um, but otherwise, you know, take that leap. Believe in yourself because um, you can do it. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your work in the community. And uh, this was wonderful. Thanks. Thank you, Shasti. Bye. And that'll do it for this week. Thanks again to our guest, Jen Carter. I'm Stephen Cox on behalf of Will Casey and Shasti Conrad. We will see you all next time. Bye.